0: Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. This episode is not financial or medical advice. It's for entertainment purposes only and is a work of fiction. Let's talk about gold. Gold's been coming up in more ways than one recently. It's up in value. People are also wondering if they should be buying it or storing it or hoarding it. Because there's a chance that our debt-based house of cards world economy Is going to crumble since it can't really tolerate higher interest rates, which are the conventional way of pulling back inflation. Gold has been around for thousands and thousands of years. It doesn't corrode and is malleable, meaning you can bend it and shape it. And those are the two practical reasons for it being a valuable commodity. And impractically, it's shiny has been used decoratively for as long as it's been used to be part of things like primitive armor and kitchenware. It originally wasn't that useful of a metal. Its biggest attractive quality was that it was attractive. It was shiny, like I said. There's this area which is now Turkey that was called Lydia in 600 BC. And that particular area had amassed more amount of gold than anywhere else in the world. Gold was already used as a trading instrument. It would be traded in just little gold nuggets. And trading instruments were useful because let's say that you were buying a herd of cattle. It might be hard to deliver enough goods for that exchange, but the gold could represent some sort of value on the market. The same for if you were buying one big item like a ship. Lydia had the idea to make gold coins, though. They blended them with silver and made a standardized coin. It was a standardized amount of gold and had a uniform shape. The shape conveniently could be stacked. You could have a stack of coins. Then Lydia was invaded by the Persians. And the Persians decided to adopt that Lydian currency because they had so much of it lying around. It was convenient rather than giving up some of their actually useful goods. The Persians were really successful traders and so these gold coins circulated around the world. In the 15th century colonizers began exploring the Americas and they found large deposits of gold. People in California are familiar with gold country. Portugal, England, and Spain would send teams across the Atlantic Ocean to retrieve as much gold as they could possibly get their hands on and bring it back. And the European nations that were successful in bringing back a lot of gold began to integrate it as the basis of their economy, as their currency. In doing so, not only gold, but the shape of the coin, the coin shape became standardized around the world. Then in the 17th century, A.D., England began setting up banks to keep gold for people, for customers. When you made a deposit, you'd receive a piece of paper, and it was a promissory note that you could get repaid your gold at any time you wanted to withdraw it. This system worked really well for England, especially because they had a steady stream of gold coming in from the Americas that they could back the money from their citizens. In case too many people withdrew at once, etc, etc, their setup became known as a gold standard. This happened in eighteen twenty one the term the gold standard was employed, and that standardized way of handling the currency meant that other countries could base how their money system was working or their currencies off of England's gold standard over the next eighty years up till about 1900, the successful developed countries around the world had mainly adopted their own gold standards. And that worked really well globally until World War I, which was in 1914. 1914 was the beginning of the world's economies being destabilized. That came to a head in 1929 with the stock market crash people started hoarding their wealth, so citizens who had gold in banks started pulling it out. And the federal response in America was to increase interest rates. That way the remaining reserves of gold that they had in their banks would be more valuable. And also in places like Fort Knox that you famously heard about. Their raising of interest rates bankrupted many of the small businesses that were doing okay in America and some that were thriving and it skyrocketed unemployment. Two years after the stock market crash, England jumped ship. It was 1931, and they said, no more gold standard. President Franklin Roosevelt did the same thing in the United States in 1933. And in leaving the gold standard, it signaled the arrival of an international debt-based economy and that would develop throughout the rest of the 1900s. At the time, When the U.S. left the gold standard, they held 75% of the world's gold. In 1994, there was an international conference called the Bretton Woods Conference, and it fixed the U.S. dollar to gold at $35 per ounce. Other countries who didn't have as much gold were then tied to the adjustable rates of the U.S. dollar, which again didn't shift from that $35 per ounce value to gold. That meant that the U.S. dollar was pretty much the only currency backed by gold, and the rest of the world's money was backed now by the U.S. dollar. This was really good for the U.S. However, the U.S. economy still struggled because the Federal Reserve began just printing a whole lot of money, and that caused more inflationary problems. The whole point of that Bretton Woods conference was to stabilize money and stabilize gold, but instead what started happening is other countries started buying gold with their currency or U.S. dollars they had and pulling it out of the international market, a lot of which was being sourced in the United States. As that happened, the U.S. reserves of their own gold depleted, and it made it harder and harder for the U.S. to maintain its standard relationship of gold to the dollar. In 1971, the U.S. decided to break from that standardized relationship, their gold standard, again. And gold reacted by jumping in price, big time. Moving forward, the rest of the developed world went on to use fiat currencies like the yen, the euro, and the dollar. And they all had their own approaches, but were still more or less tied to the U.S. dollar. A lot of fiat currencies were tied to commodities, perceived value that the countries offered. And a byproduct of this is that that value of gold kept on rising. During the COVID pandemic, gold's price reached over $1,700 per ounce. Before and during COVID, a lot of companies had failed to keep their currencies backed by some sort of commodity. And one by one, many of them have become fiscally absorbed into nations that can afford to purchase their debt, like China. If they didn't do this, a lot of times by like bond or treasury note selling, the the countries would, their economies would just crumble. From that little synopsis of the history of gold, you can kind of see that in a lot of ways it was at the right place at the right time. It would have been harder to make diamond coins, but we certainly can cut diamonds. And maybe some sort of other gem or precious metal could have become what gold is today. Gold maximalists like Peter Schiff uh, are right in that it does have use. In fact, maybe gold has a little more use today than it did back in the before Christ days, back in the BC days. But gold isn't something that's going to like save us if shit really hits the fan. And I'm not saying Peter Schiff suggests that it is. Wood, livestock, and quite frankly, certain educational backgrounds will be much more valuable than gold. So will bullets and guns, which is an interesting concept to think about at a time when there's national discussion of taking guns out of citizens' hands, when they indeed might be one of the most valuable things people could have in a crumbling economy. The Federal Reserve did some hardcore stuff during COVID. Talked about it as it was happening, but just to recap for people who might've forgotten, and sometimes I forget a little bit, but the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve printed about $13 trillion during the pandemic. There was about $1 trillion that came to U.S. citizens in the form of stimulus checks. And between, I believe, two and three trillion came in the form of unemployment checks that money did find its way back into the economy people didn't have a whole lot of savings and they had to spend it in stores on goods unfortunately a lot of those stores were huge conglomerates and chains where the money doesn't necessarily go back into the local economies to stabilize them more than half of that 13 trillion dollars that the federal government printed went into their spending and went to banks who have held on to a lot of that money a lot of the government spending has gone out to other countries for questionable reasons and a lot of programs in this country that are questionable hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on libraries as far as the money advocated 500 million went to fund the arts there's $100 million given to San Francisco to build a tunnel outside of San Francisco, a tunnel that I don't know if they've even broken ground on or has been approved as a good idea. $1.5 billion went to Amtrak. $4 billion went to disadvantaged farmers, even though they were considered an essential service. $85 billion was given to 180 multi-employer pension plans. Those are just just a couple examples of where that money went. The money nor, the money supply normally grows about seven percent per year, but the quantitative easing, this money printing that they did, of it's increased money supply by fourteen percent per year over the past decade, because the Federal Reserve didn't just start quantitative easing; they just ramped up how much money they printed, because. The U.S. is in debt, so they have to keep printing money to pay off basically their credit card bills to other countries. The COVID relief itself increased the money supply by 27%, and that just opened the floodgates for inflation, which made it crazy that Jerome Powell, the talking piece of the Federal Reserve, first was claiming he didn't think there would be any inflation, and then he said it would be briefly transitory, even though they forced the world into an inflationary uh, situation. Maybe that was on purpose to make us more dependent on the government as a world, like a new world order. Or maybe they just really didn't know what to do during COVID, and the only thing they could do was spend money. So it looked like they were figuring it out. And by they, I mean the federal government, who gets the Federal Reserve to do what they want. Either way, we're in a situation right now where most of the world economies can't really tolerate raising interest rates. A lot of economists say we're not going to be able to tolerate the interest rate changes that the Federal Reserve is projecting, and that once we hit a certain point, maybe this fall, they're going to have to change their plans and say they're not going to raise interest rates anymore, which is what they're currently uh, signaling they're going to do, continue raising them. For better or worse, understand that gold or holding some single asset, other than maybe land is not going to save you if our economy goes through really hard times. Life skills and community resilience is what'll save us. And also it'll be good to have a diversified portfolio. It'll be good to be invested in the stock market, at least at some point when companies hit rock bottom, begin to grow back because the rate at which economies and, and stock markets tend to grow after getting through serious recessions, is very fast. It's hyperbolic, and it'll help you actually overcome inflation rather than just be sitting with a little bit of money left. You'll, you'll make a lot of money whenever that happens. But in the meantime, you'll need to have savings, you'll need to have cash, you'll need to have certain goods. It might help to have precious metals like gold. It might help to have weapons. It might help to have land. It might help to have collectibles. Probably not. might even help to have some cryptocurrency. But that really is shaped by your worldview because if you think we're going to end up going back to scavenging for food and hunting people for fuel, cryptocurrency isn't going to do us much good, at least ones that aren't mainstream. Not for anything other than black market money exchange. And cryptocurrencies don't have to have a high value for that. But if the infrastructure goes down and we don't have electricity everywhere... Good luck with cryptocurrency. If you believe this is just a passing tide and we're going to keep on progressing, certain cryptocurrencies might pay up big. Could be a reasonable wager. Whatever happens, as long as we exist, we're going to keep trading. We might be trading coins, we might be trading objects, we might be trading food, but we're all going to remain traders. And so having something to trade and not just debt is probably a good idea.